when you're being your truest self and you're actually following what you think is right, not what's best, not what everyone thinks, but what you believe in that given moment is the right choice. The decision I make is the best decision with the info I have. That's the right decision. And that's the confident decision. Hello and welcome to Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to take what gets you going to find your passion, reach your potential, and write your own success story. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, business and career strategist and certified executive and career coach. And we are here today with Jenny Teplin. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited you're here for a lot of different reasons. One of my favorite things about doing this podcast is I get to have really interesting conversations with lots of different people, but every so often I get to have a conversation with someone who I know in a completely different capacity and get to see a completely different side of them. And Jenny is one of those people. Perfect. I'm very excited. This is going to be great. It's going to be great. Jenny is the founder and clinical director of Manhattan Wellness, which is a boutique psychotherapy practice located in New York City. She is a longtime family friend. We've known each other for a very long time. She's known my husband for even longer since I think she was born. And so, Jenny, let's kick it off. Manhattan Wellness, your tagline is build a life you love. What's that about? So what really inspired me to start Manhattan Wellness is that I found that there's such a gap in the market. And honestly, to this day, there still is. Mm. I find that therapists went to school and got trained clinically, but no one really took the time to do the market research and to really think with a business mind. And I think I'm almost, almost 10 years in to doing this. And I really have found that I almost resonate more with the entrepreneur at this point than the therapist. And it's a really weird flip-flop for me. But when I graduated social work school, I started as a therapist and I used to see what we called adults. So I could see an 18-year-old, then I could see a 60-year-old. And I was doing good therapy, but I think I was just putting out fires. And so this idea of build the life you love is really an idea that we can take a life that's already great and optimize it. I think that so many people think the place for therapy is when your life is falling apart or there's a huge fire that you need to put out or you're just miserable. And to me, the best time to come to therapy is when you just know things could be better, you know things could flow differently, or you want to make a change and you're afraid to do so. So that idea of build the life you love just kind of stripped away the clinical aspect of therapy and more focused on what it means to take care of yourself and to be willing to be vulnerable to actually change something that's not working. I love that so much. And I love it because I think I have a personal philosophy, but I've also seen this in business, and I'm sure you've seen it as an entrepreneur, that all we can do is constantly grow and evolve and learn and change and try to get a little bit better each and every day. And what you're talking about is setting yourself up for success by not only creating a support system, but a space for introspection Mm -hmm. and evaluation. Yeah. I think also, especially for women, it's really hard to ask for help. 
Mm. I think women are so used to doing it and muscling it and we can have the full-time job. We also run the household. We also take care of the family. We don't forget our in-laws anniversary. And we also have (laughs) gifts for every birthday party on Saturday, right? Yeah. And I think it's so hard to ask for help, but I think it's also hard for a woman to maybe have what they want, have checked off the boxes, but not feel satisfied enough. And I think that lack of full satisfaction is seen as a negative. And to me, I see it as an opportunity. If you're fully satisfied in your life, you're going to plateau. You're not going to do anything different. You're not going to challenge yourself. And at some point, that's no longer going to work for you. So I think that moment when someone can say, I want more and see it as a positive or I want different and see it through curiosity, it really enables someone to actually get the help that they need or the support or just the space. What do you think makes it difficult for women to ask for help? Aside from what you're talking about, aside from the, we just have to do it all. So we do it all. What do you think is is there? I think if we ask for help, we're admitting that we're not perfect. Mm, And I think the hardest thing to admit to ourselves is that we're not perfect. Okay. That one hits very hard, Jenny. (laughs) Sorry. I know. (laughs) I know. That's very close to home. No. Yeah. And even as I'm talking to you, I'm still in active recovery of perfectionism. And I kind of think we all are. And I think perfectionism, to some degree, can be a great motivator. But it is also the biggest critic. And it is your worst enemy in a way. So I think striving to do your best is a much softer and a much more acceptable way of being perfectionism. How do you define perfectionism? Ooh, I hate that question because it's so hard. I think perfectionism is striving to attain the impossible and dissatisfaction until you do it. Perfectionism to me is always seeing what's not working rather than what is. Mm. And as we're growing and as we're doing, if you're constantly identifying the one thing that's not perfect, You're never going to feel good. You're never going to feel proud. And you're not going to feel confident to take that next step. And I think that keeps a lot of people stuck. And to me, the shift of getting out of perfectionism is seeing everything that's good and seeing that as the motivator and then identifying what's leveling up one step. And it could be a step that you have lined your way up to, or it could be a step that your toddler could take. To me, there's wrong, but I think it's finding satisfaction, but wanting more and actually supporting yourself to get there. So it sounds there's a little bit of accountability and ownership in that. There's a little Mm -hmm. bit of gratitude in that. There's a little bit of knowing yourself in that. And then there's an element of having enough faith to kind of jump off of a ledge and just start doing. A hundred percent. And doing to me, I love this phrase and a lot of people don't, done is better than perfect. And I think Yes, we want things done really well, but I find that so often people are so obsessed with starting it right and having the perfect system and knowing exactly what to do next. You know, it's just, in my opinion, never going to work out that way. And if you're comfortable getting a little messy, I think that you always end up clean at the end. Such a great metaphor. And I cannot express how deeply this is resonating with me. And it it goes back a little bit to what you're talking about, about identifying as an entrepreneur, because as you're talking, I'm reflecting on my own journey and how Mm -hmm. I think in so many ways I've had to embrace imperfection 
because part of entrepreneurship is throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. And I also think, can you still love those not perfect aspects of yourself? I found that when I first started my business, I wanted to present as this truly perfect therapist who knows the answer to everything. And that's why you'd work for me, right? Because I have it figured out. Yeah. And I think it was like day two of having an employee that I realized, one, the jig's up. You can't pretend <laughs> that doesn't work. But two, how is anyone going to feel comfortable coming to you if you can't admit that you don't have all the answers? And whenever we hire someone, and we really hire for personality and we teach the skill if someone's a newer hire, I really find that if you can admit that you don't have all the answers, but we're going to figure it out together. That is the greatest gift. And even as a therapist speaking to a client, when a client asks a question, you can be the therapist that makes up a BS response, right? Like we can all come up with that quick response that makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. But I think, and I say it to every single person that works for me, there's nothing better than saying, let me think about that and I'll get back to you. Because it shows our clients that we also don't have all the answers. Not that we're not experienced, but that people actually have to think about something and consider it. And it's okay to circle back. And that admitting that you don't have the answer, admitting that you're not perfect, is it just unlocks so many doors for every person. And I don't think enough people do it. Do you think people are looking for someone to have all the answers? Yes. I think everyone believes everyone else has the answer. Yes. So I believe that when we're on Instagram and we're scrolling or we're on LinkedIn and you see that person got the promotion or the job, whatever it is, we're seeing the highlight reel. And I know this isn't a new concept, but I just. When I'm sitting here and I've worked an entire day and my sweater's wrinkly and I haven't had a snack and maybe I don't feel my best. And then I look on Instagram and everyone's posting these perfectly curated things. It's so simple to think that's their everyday reality. But if I stood for a half an hour at 8 a.m. when I left the door, I could look really close to perfect as well and really light and airy with my Ralph's coffee. But that's just not reality. So I think when we start to realize that don't have everyone's full story and yeah. we stop looking at everyone as the expert and having the answers besides us. Mm-hmm. I think it's that moment where everyone's on the same playing field rather than being tiered almost like you're at the Olympics that people can start to feel confident. But it's that inner critic that makes us feel so small. Like we have to be perfect because if we're not, then we're such a loser. And it's that critical voice and it's that unrealistic expectation that I actually think think keeps so many potentially entrepreneurial or just anyone who wants to make a change, I think it keeps them playing really small. So this is the second time now in the conversation I've thought to myself, comparison is the thief of joy. Beyond. Right? And mm-hmm. there's so much in what you just said, quieting the inner critic. I keep sitting here thinking to myself, I'm a Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Good reason. Luck. Yeah, exactly. Good luck. <laughs> you heard it here. Good luck, Virgos. For those who don't know astrology, Virgos are known for being very critical, especially self-critical. So, hi. Awareness. <laughs> Self-awareness. It's loving those imperfect parts about you, right? But there's something so true to that. And you used the word expert. Mm-hmm. I have a very fervent belief that I I just don't like the word expert. 
There is no expert. There is no expert. No one is an expert. To me, an expert is someone who knows everything, who knows everything about everything. So I totally agree. And when I think of expert, what I really think of is, okay, I take a book off my shelf about self-esteem and someone wrote that book. And because a publisher decided they should write this book, someone has decided they're the expert, right? Trust me, they also say stupid shit and they make mistakes. But we don't realize that, right? Because they wrote this book about self-esteem. So obviously they know everything of what they're talking about. And if I have a different view than them, it's obviously wrong because it's not in the book. And that's the moment that we cut off our own legs. I think people love black or white. People love all or nothing. They love right or wrong. Everything is on a spectrum and that's so uncomfortable. That is incredibly uncomfortable for me. I'm like antsy right now listening to you. Well, it's funny though because, you know, I have a a bucket list of things I want to do and writing a book is one of them and I've had those exact thoughts that you're talking about. When am I going to get to the point that I I know enough? Who am I? This, This identity, ego, all of these different themes that factor into all of this. And so I'm curious, right? Because here you are, you're trained as a therapist. You've grown a practice from being a sole practitioner to having what, 11 people on staff? How many people do you have on staff now? Oh, we're 18 right now. 18. Great. That's incredible, Jenny. It's crazy. You said it yourself. You're not trained to think like a business person when you go through therapeutic training. So how has all of this perfectionism, identity, ego, et cetera, kind of shown up in your own journey to building what you've built? 18 people, that's amazing. It's, it's really crazy. I say it when I'm also in disbelief, but come like paired with that disbelief is so much pride that I am able to, in my lens, take care of that many people, give that many people an experience that I wish when I graduated social work school for. And the amount of clients, we serve over 400 clients a week. The fact that I know 400 people are getting impeccable care by extremely well-trained and extremely kind individuals, I can lay my head on the pillow at night and feel really, really good about that. It, the impact that I feel like I am able to make by supporting the individuals that work for me, by finding the clients, the whole thing, it just, I feel really honored, to be honest with you, that we created such an environment um, for people to flourish in this way. But how, I don't know how I got lucky enough to sit where I'm sitting, but there is, have you read the book Setting the Table by Danny Meyer? No, but you're like the third person who's told me to read it in the past week. Then this is your sign that you should read it. Every individual that comes to work for me reads the book and I have a meeting with them about it. It is a book about hospitality. What is a therapist doing reading it, having her employees read it? Um, My mother-in-law is such a foodie and a main cook. And she was cleaning out her house once and said, I think you'd like this book. And she handed it to me. I was like, okay, it's my mother-in-law. Like, I'm going to read it because right, what you right. do, right? So you have conversation, <laughs> you're agreeable. 
I sat there with probably eight different colored highlighters annotating the entire, I almost had to offer to buy her a new book because I wrecked this book. But he has a concept in it that he asks the question, who made the rule that blank? And he applies it to Blue Smoke. It's a barbecue restaurant that he opened in the city. I think there's still two of them. I've never been. But it's who made the rule that a barbecue joint couldn't be white table, white napkin. Right. Um, And it was like such a great question. And I think I read that book a few years out of social work school. And I started to ask myself that question. And the way I was applying it was, who made the rule that a practice couldn't have a highly specialized area? but not be pigeonholing itself and instead have this beautiful funnel where you're finding the perfect match client. And in return, you're able to refer out anyone who you don't think would be best served by your clients. And you can actually now serve all of these other therapists who don't actually realize what you're doing. Right. Right, Like what a cool concept. And I started asking myself that idea, like who made the rule that therapy couldn't more about general wellness and well-being? who made the rule that, a therapy practice had to be in person and the therapist had to be super buttoned up and they couldn't be warm. They had to be this expert with this hierarchy of patient and therapist. Instead, to me, there are clients and we're two humans sitting together. And if you want to tell me about the new Chanel flats, you got a Bloomingdale's like, great, use your 10 minutes to share. I'm interested, right? But that's not what you think of when you're thinking about typical therapy sessions. Um, right, right. What, like, what freedom? I started to give myself by asking that question, but I do have to say, as I started doing what felt most authentic to me, things started to fall into place. And every time I do what I think I should do or what I think the expert would do, a really cringe roadblock will come or something that you just couldn't have expected will totally get in the way of the idea. And I really do believe that when you're following your most authentic self, your path, your truth, whatever that is, which I feel like I'm talking and I see like glittery trails following me. So I have no idea what it actually means, right? Right. But when you're being your truest self and you're actually following what you think is right, not what's best, not what everyone thinks, but what you believe in that given moment is the right choice. So with the information you have in today's moment at 221 on September 21st, the decision I make is the best decision with the info I have. That's the right decision. And that's the confident decision. And I think the more I go against the grain, the more I give an idea to people and they're like, I don't know about that. And I choose to do it anyway, the brighter my business shines. And I really like to think of it in that way. Like who are we to dull our shine? And if we can shine and bring light and warmth to other people, And then that lights an area for someone else who hasn't been willing to do something different or be confident or take the risk. And I just think it's all those little sets of light are contagious. And I even see it within my business. I have an employee of mine who I call my baby protege. I did not know her growing up. We are from, she's actually from Jason's town as well. And a family friend had asked me to mentor her when she was in grad school. And I probably spoke to 30 social work students every year because if someone asks me to speak to someone, I'm always going to say yes. I don't care if it's going to be Friday night at eight o'clock before I get into bed. Doesn't yeah. If someone needs a resource, if someone wants to speak to someone in a field or has a question, who am I to say no? Like, that's ridiculous. And I ended up mentoring her through social work school. I convinced her heavily to come work for me. 
And she's now years in and she's actually my clinical director of our fellowship program. And she and I had a conversation about six months ago when I knew we were going to make a clinical fellowship program. And I think she was speechless when I asked her to head it up and build out the programming and be the liaison with the universities and everything. And our clinical fellowship program started two weeks ago and she's killing it. And the confidence she has, even just talking about clinical cases is bursting. And that's just a great example of sharing a little speckle of light and someone blows it up. And I know that she's a better person because of the leadership and the confidence she's getting from it. She's a better therapist. She's a better supervisor. I'm sure she's a better girlfriend. When you start feeling confident in one place and someone encourages you to show beyond what you think you're capable of, it it just, it's contagious and it's the greatest gift. Well, this is the second or maybe even third time you've mentioned confidence. And I find that so interesting in that all of this is so tied. And what a beautiful tie-in also this idea of who am I, right? Mm -hmm. What is becoming confident? It's owning who you are. And what is owning who you are? It's the authenticity you're speaking about. It's the who am I not to give my gifts to the world? Who am Mm -hmm. I not to try this new thing? Because who knows what could happen? Totally. And oftentimes it doesn't work out exactly how we thought. I did not think that (laughs) I was going to have the practice I have with the three suite and the, like, it sounds like a headache when you see it on paper, but it just falls into place and you figure it out. And there's a book um, do you follow Marianne Williamson at all? I'm about to get real woo-woo on you. Uh, I I know who she is, yeah. Okay. So she has this book called um, A Return to Love, and I could totally be making up that. Oh, here it is. Nope, it's A Return to Love. Great. And there's a quote that I'm absolutely going to butcher, but you'll look it up, and anyone who listens and they're like, what is this chick talking about? They'll look it up too. She says a quote along the lines of, who are you to be right, fabulous, take up the space, blah, blah, blah. And then it ends with, who are you not to be? And I, you have to look up the quote because it's actually much more powerful than what I just made up. But I read that once and I thought, oh my God, she's just talking about playing small. And why wouldn't we take up the space, be present, be willing to put ourselves out there? Who does it serve to not make noise, sit in the corner, smile and nod your head? I just think we have how many years to be on this earth and to leave and not leave a footprint, I think is probably my biggest fear. To not leave an impact, to not leave a legacy. And I don't mean to be famous or to have your name on a building, but to have changed people's lives and left them for the better, I think is everyone's responsibility. And I don't think enough people think about it that way. I am all about the shift from reactive to proactive. Mm-hmm. And what is more confidence building than taking control? My whole thing is about writing your own success story, right? Totally. Which yeah. is exactly what you're talking about right now. And it's funny you bring up Marianne Williamson and you use the word woo-woo because mm-hmm. there's a lot to, if you want to call it consciousness, there's a lot to some of this woo-woo stuff. We've already talked about astrology today. We're, we're already in there. I don't know why I We're already the in there. But- I feel compelled to bring this up. So many people, I call them woo-woo people in corporate clothing, come to me. Mm -hmm. So it's the people 
and this is a rash generalization, so take this how for what it's worth. But a lot of people who are on this search for better, this search for reaching their potential, this search for optimization, to use your word from mm-hmm. er, for earlier, and I think people are becoming more and more open to alternative ways of thinking about how to do that, yeah. if that makes sense. And the reality is these ideas have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. I have so many books behind me on stoic philosophy, and that's basically all of this. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I say woo-woo, and truthfully, I think it's a defense mechanism of me being like, it's a me little too. weird, but, but the truth is like, I, maybe I'm woo-woo. I, I am woo-woo. You know what? This is me owning it. I am woo-woo. I believe in astrology. I've been to shaman. I believe there are things we cannot understand. And, you know, this whole concept that you're bringing up about living your truth, to use the woo-woo phrase. No, but really living I, – I, I call it living to your definition of success. Mm-hmm. Not letting someone else's definition of success guide you, but really doing what comes naturally to you, comes authentically to you, what lights you up, what brings you joy, what fuels your passion, right? Doing that, I love, love, love that yeah. the path has just opened up for you. And there's something about that that, frankly, maybe is a little bit woo-woo that we can't explain. I'm with you. And when I heard you saying that, it made me think of a worksheet or like a concept that we share with our clients. And whenever someone feels like they are not their own self or wants to optimize themselves, we have them picture three pillars and it's who I am, who they think I am and who I want to be. So who I am is who I am today. Who they think I am is your parents, your boyfriend, your best friends from college, your boss, how they would define you. And then it's who you actually want to become. And we thought of it a few years ago, and I think every therapist in my practice uses that concept in some way. The most interesting pillar is always, or column, is always who they think I am. And who they think I am is always through this really hypercritical lens. And mm. we can say it's your mom, your dad, or your sister. It's, your, it's really your inner critic and who you think you're supposed to be. And the discomfort we have raging against that by being our authentic self or how we want to opt is such an interesting journey to be on. You're making me think of a story. I remember I was in college and I I was in the business school and I was one of my only girlfriends that was in the business school. And I've always been ambitious. I've always wanted to quote unquote succeed the limited way that at the time I knew how to define it, Mm -hmm. albeit. And I had a very good friend of mine. He happened to be a man because I think that is relevant to the story. Say to me, you're going to be a badass businesswoman one day. But I can't imagine you you having kids. If I tell you the gut punch, Jenny, the gut punch, because one of the things I always wanted to do was be a mother and now I have two beautiful children, thank God. And I like to think of myself as a good mother. And that killed me. Because those two things couldn't coexist, right? Yes. And part of my mission, for whatever it's worth, is Mm -hmm. to give permission to people to be 
all the different parts of them, right? We're all not just one thing. I can be a successful business person, a mother, a wife, a speaker, whatever it is. I can be corporate and I can be woo-woo. I can be institutional and I can be relatable. These things can coexist just like you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur and a mother and a wife and a daughter-in-law. But it brings you back to that spectrum, right? Yes. And it's so uncomfortable to have all of these boxes that can coexist, but I think to someone who's not doing it can feel like they don't fit. And there are so many times that people will look at me and they'll be like, it's so nice that you get to be at home with your daughter. And what they're saying is because you're available on a Monday at 930 to go to Union Square Play for the Walker's class, you're a stay-at-home mom and you're very lucky you can do that. And I love when someone says that because I'm able to look at them and say, I am very lucky that I'm able to be home with my daughter today and I run my own business. And I think that there's something so built into our society that it's like, if you're with your kids then you've clearly taken a step back in your career and good for you. And there's an underpinning of lucky you. And that's the part I despise. Mm. Um, And I think it's people always apologize when I give that clarification. And I always say, you don't need to apologize because it is really nice that I'm home with Lane right now. You're right. But people are so uncomfortable with those dual concepts happening. Maybe that's the whole punchline of this conversation is that none of us are one thing. We are all many things. There's a spectrum. There's a spectrum to happiness. There's a spectrum to satisfaction. There's a spectrum to identity. There's a spectrum to everything. And because people are looking for experts, because people are looking for the answers, because people are looking for an easy solution, that makes people so uncomfortable. And what about the fact that you could be satisfied right now and in four hours be dissatisfied? Like we like Mm. to identify with, we can, okay, so now we've agreed there's a spectrum, right? Right. It's most comfortable to be in one spot on it. But haven't you had those moments (laughs) where you feel really good and then an hour later, everything's, you know, I just had a baby, so yes. Right? (laughs) But I think it's like, okay, so now we're cool with the spectrum, but I need to identify exactly where I am on it and hold white knuckle hold on to it. And I think it's that moment where we admit we are flawed people, but we're doing our best and that's okay. And it's okay by my standards and you're okay with it, not the outside person. I think that's when we get comfortable. I think it's also the moment we identify we're out of control. Which is cringe, right? I know. That's why one of my favorite questions with clients, when they come to me with a situation, I say to them, okay, but what is actually in your control? Mm-hmm. 100%. I like the visualization of a circle and what's inside the controls in the circle and what's outside of it is out of our control. Um, I think that's so powerful to actually see it because it's so rare that what's in our control is actually what's bothering us. Yeah. And I think it's such a better use of our time to, okay, so this is happening. How do you want to respond? How do you want to react? Because how do you want to control? There's nothing you can do about that. That's out of your hands. It's already happened. How are you going to react? And how are you going to react in the most graceful way by your standards? You know, as we're talking, 
I've been doing a lot of reflecting on my business as an entrepreneur recently, right? And a lot of these concepts are coming up for me, right? Mm -hmm. I'm institutional and I want to be relatable. I have a podcast and I want to go into a Fortune 500 company and be buttoned up. And these are all pieces of me. And one thing that has come up for me as I've gone through this reflection exercise is what really gets me worked up, Uh what really has pissed me off Mm -hmm. my entire life is when people try to put me in a box. I cannot stand when someone tries to put me in a box. And what I've learned about myself which again, put this under my mission, is that I have learned that if you harness that, mm-hmm. if you harness that passion, maybe that's not your passion, maybe something else is, that is an incredible energy source for you to tap into and use. I 100% agree with you. And going off of that, what bothered me the most growing up, and I know this is going to resonate with you, is when I was told that I was bossy. Mm. I bossy, or this is my favorite term that my dad would say he really wanted to get under my skin. He would tell me I was being abrasive. And what that actually meant was I was disagreeing and I was passionately holding my boundary and my preference. And it's those things, that abrasiveness, I see it more as me being okay, being differently than other people and, you know, holding my line. Yeah. And that bossiness has just been harnessed into being a boss. And I have learned to love those descriptors and to embrace those and to make them my most powerful qualities sometimes. But I always go back to that bossy, like, don't even get me started, please. You just said it so perfectly. You got worked up by being called bossy and you harnessed it into becoming a boss. And it's just like every young girl that's, I mean, I know it still happens today, right? For sure. But I really hope that we start to shift that language. Being direct as a woman is such a unique and powerful thing if you don't allow someone to make it negative. And being direct, what is the purpose of not being direct? It's so inefficient. To be liked. Yes. To be liked. I, I, that's something that is a work in progress for me. I mean, for all of us. And there's value in being really liked. But I think if we can see the difference between being liked, and this is really professionally, being liked and being respected, I will take respected over liked any day. How do you define or differentiate being respected versus being liked? Being liked is based off of one or two things that happen in a given day. You can like me today or you can dislike me today based on something that I do or say. And I think being respected is something that takes a really long time to build up. You don't typically respect someone from just one action. When you Mm. respect someone, you really trust them. And I don't think like and dislike, I think that's a little more flippant. And I think it's a little more emotional rather than evidence-based. And I love evidence-based. So to me, respected is one of the greatest descriptors. It's one of the greatest gifts someone could give you is your respect. What do you think have been the biggest lessons that you've learned on this entrepreneurial journey? I think looking at the big picture 
has been so important and asking for help has been so important. And I think the biggest thing I learned, so I went out on maternity leave May of 2022. And ahead of going on maternity leave, I did everything. And I mean everything. I mean, a client reached out to the practice, I was answering them. Someone needed supervision, I was doing it. I had my hand in every pot in the worst way possible. And I got back from maternity leave and obviously my life was more full. I had a few shifted priorities. Not that I didn't prioritize the business, but there were definitely competing forces at that point. And the biggest thing I learned was one, asking for help, but then also by me asking for help of the amazing, capable women that worked for me, I was also then lifting them up. And Mm. I hadn't realized that by not asking for their help and by not handing off some really cool things that our practice does, I was forcing them to play small and I wasn't enabling them to grow into the professionals and the individuals they were meant to. And that is something that it probably took me up until this May to forgive myself for because I was so unaware that I was doing it. But I think that I was doing almost everything because I wanted to prove that I deserve to be the boss. I deserve to own this practice. And I thought that by holding everything up in the air and smiling, that was what gave me permission. And once I gave myself permission and realized that I could shift and kind of turn the business on its head and by lifting everyone else up and coaching them and how to do it, that's what made me the boss. And that was such a powerful shift. And really, I think the biggest lesson I've learned um, in my business so far, there will be more, I know it. But that's definitely the most powerful one for me. Delegate to elevate. Oh, Jackie. That was not me. I wish I could take credit for it. Someone said it to me once. Delegate to elevate. I have a friend who happened to be on the podcast, and he said to me that he has incredibly high expectations of his people, and he sees that as a sign of respect. And that resonated to me with me so deeply because – I have incredibly high expectations. And when I do, it's because I know what people are capable of. Mm -hmm. The people I don't have high expectations for are the people I don't necessarily respect or trust. Absolutely. And I think it's giving. I think the people you trust and respect the most deserve the most feedback. And I think also shifting feedback into a gift and a positive and a direction I sort of think of feedback as you're in a rainstorm and someone's putting on the windshield wipers. And if you don't get the feedback and you still expect someone to succeed, it's like, no, they're going to crash. I guarantee like it's a storm. There's no windshield wipers. Great visual. Like, kind of screwed, right? And I have really coached the women that work for me to give me feedback, for them to be open to feedback. And I think everything you're saying is 100% right. Those we expect the most of are those we know can do it. But I also sometimes like to challenge myself and the people that we maybe don't have the highest expectations for, I think are those are the people that need the opportunity to prove it because they're almost proving against our preconceived notion. Even harder. No heavier yeah. boulder to push. It's like Sisyphus up the mountain. It's just sort of an impossible thing. But I think that people change. I think people grow. And to me, it's the person that says yes and are the people that are going to be successful in any profession, no matter what they're doing. Very well said. 
And I think I have agreed with every single word that has come out of your mouth over the last however many minutes we've been talking. I have one last question for you. And I want you to take it however you will. Interpret it however you will. What do you know now that you wish you knew back then? That being different is cool. Going against my, the grain. My 10 is year old cool. self needed to hear that, Jenny. Mm-hmm. I spent so long in my life, and I still find myself at times doing this, wanting to be like everyone else, wanting to agree and feel the same as everyone else. And I just. Are there a few more bumps because I'm not the same as everyone else? Totally. Are there times that I maybe feel left out because I didn't say yes to something? Sure. But I think when you are your truest self and accept who you actually are, which by the way, no one's cool. Like, no one's cool. What's cool is what you think is cool. Exactly. Um, But I think finally allowing myself to be different and be okay with it has been one of the most freeing things. And I find that people are so much more attracted to something that's a little bit different than they are to the same thing every day. What's so funny about that is I think back to the parts of me that I've connected with different people on and it's all the weird Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. It's all the weird stuff. And maybe, again, that goes back to what we were talking about, about just radical authenticity to make it a buzzword or Mm -hmm. living to your own definition of success or just owning who you are, knowing yourself, whatever you want to call it, living your truth, being woo-woo, but really just embracing you unapologetically. And being your biggest support. I think that you are always going to find critics and judgment and anything else that causes people to measure you against someone else. And the last thing you need is for the one voice that you can control to do the same. Be the bold in a sea of gray. That's all I keep seeing. Like some type of marketing tagline. Be the magenta in a sea of gray. As I sit here in the grayest office wearing the most neutral palette, right? Perfect. It's all right. It's all right. We'll we'll let it pass. Jenny, I feel like we could talk for an hour. I feel like we could probably talk for another five hours. This has been such an incredible conversation. If people want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about the services that Manhattan Wellness offers, how can they do that? So if you go to our website, which is manhattanwellness.org, endless information, anything you want is there. If you're looking for a light touch point and you don't necessarily think that you want to get in touch about therapy, our Instagram is at manhattan.wellness and we share hilarious, relatable memes, really useful therapeutic ideas, different techniques, different things that just serve an everyday person that just wants to feel good. I think that's a really good place to start. That's awesome. Jenny, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. It goes without saying... I'm going to end this podcast the way I started it. One of my favorite things is being able to have these conversations with people who I get to experience a whole different side of them, right? Thank you. So here's to all of us breaking out of our boxes, right? Exactly. Perfect. Thanks so much, Jenny. 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Worked Up. Please don't forget to follow, like, and write a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your shows. And please follow along with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting or on LinkedIn at Jacqueline Beck Consulting. See you next time.